What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Opening the Vault. I'm one of your hosts, Ben, and I am joined by Ryan today. How's it going, Ryan? I'm tired, but I'm hanging in there. Yeah, I totally get that. Uh, and, of course, I am joined by Sam as well. How are you doing, Sam? I am doing very well. Uh, if you want to hear the real tea, though, you can go on my podcast, which I'll plug at the end of the episode. How nice. are you doing, Ben? I'm doing well. Uh, tired. Uh, it's been a long week at work, but I am loving it. Uh, I'm excited to talk about this movie, even though I was a little bit bored during it. But I think that it is a quintessential part of Disney history, so I'm excited to talk about it. So if you didn't know, on opening the vault, each or every couple weeks, we will talk about a Disney property or Disney movie, and we will give our opinions, we'll give thoughts about the plot and the villain and the characters and basically everything that goes on in it. Um, and we just kind of talk around in circles a lot of the time. Um, this past week, we watched Mary Poppins. It was first released on August 27th, 1964, it had a budget of $4.4 million and made $103 million in the box office. That is huge. And I know that that's over multiple releases as well, but still, that's a huge amount of money for uh, the investment. Uh, it had a longer running time than a lot of movies that we've been watching with uh, an hour or two hours and 19 minutes, um, which seems very long. Like, I don't know if you guys felt the same way, but I felt this, it just felt way longer than it was. It yeah. was kind of a slog near the end, and I feel like there are like certain characters and scenes where it's just like, did this need to be here? Yeah, I know. And, and then a lot of it felt like filler. Yeah, yeah. It's like I, of course, loved the scenes where they were panning, doing panning shots over like the beautiful matte paintings that made up a lot of the movie, which I'm sure is where they saved money. Yeah, and that's I, establishing too. Yeah, and as much as I love their sailor neighbor, I feel like they spent a little too much time with him. Like, maybe he could have been a more background character. They spent, like... I feel like if they cut out all of his scenes, it would the movie runtime would have gone down pretty significantly. Yeah, and he didn't he add anything. Not entirely. Because yeah. he adds... Because, like, I like that his presence sort of adds, like, this isn't normal... England. This is normal London. This is like a sense of heightened reality of like some weirdness that just everyone accepts. This guy's turned his very beautiful uh, townhouse, I guess is what it's called, mm -hmm. uh, into a ship with a cannon. And he like shoots once uh, every couple hours and everyone has it perfectly timed because their whole house shakes. Like there's, you know, I like that that's in there, but maybe you could cut down unlike other scenes like i don't know if the chalk painting needed to be the, mm -hmm. the chalk painting scene you know yeah yeah i agree i think that this dragged on way too long i think that this could have been easy an hour 10 maybe and it would have been just as good maybe an hour 20 at the most and it would have felt wait what would you have cut ben oh so much I would have cut out everything except for one of those like five songs that I like. I I actually really did not enjoy watching this movie. Uh, I actually like, kind of fragilistic, expialidocious yeah. that song. Yeah. No. I, I love that song. No, that's one of my oh. faves. Uh, so I was going to say, if you didn't like it, um, P.L. Travers, the woman who wrote the books Mary uh, Mary Poppins, the movie is based on, she hated that song. Oh really? When they made it. 
she um really loved let's go fly a kite that was like the first song that she was okay with and i just have to say watching this movie i think it's maybe a little bit shorter uh but saving mr banks Mm-hmm. is a movie that came out very recently and it's about the making of Mary Poppins and basically Walt Disney bartering with P.L. Travers trying to get this movie done and she wants them to like honor the source material which they haven't always done in the past yeah so it's really interesting and it delves into her past and like what inspired the original Mary Poppins I had more fun watching Saving Mr. Banks than Mary Poppins mm-hmm. but maybe that's because like I'm old and sad I don't know <laughs> Like, I've lost my childhood whimsy. Yeah, I also just think it's... Again, we're we're used to things not dragging as much these days. Like, we're used to high-impact movies. Uh, fast action. Fast action. Scene. Yeah, we're used to Marvel and Fast and Furious and James Bond. And, like, even if you go to the other side, so many, like, romantic comedies and stuff now move very fast. They don't drag as much. And this just felt like there were entire scenes that were put in there to add time. That's all. Like, I'm guessing that it's probably very close to source material and that kind of thing, but it just... It felt like they tried to stay too close to the source material, if that makes sense. That is a good thing to analyze, too, because it's, like, kind of lost in translation how not everything applies in one form of media to another. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that was touched on in the movie Saving Mr. Banks. Like, she had a lot of really ridiculous rules they had to abide by like she wouldn't allow red in the movie and if you watch the movie there's actually no real red except for like the little bow tie like tiny little details they were able to sneak in but she wouldn't let them have the british flag up in any of the map paintings or anything Hmm. and she because she's like we don't fly it like americans do yeah um even if you're in london you're not gonna really see it and i've actually been to london you don't see the british flag there Um, so Wait, why no red? She just doesn't like it. Oh, that's fair. It's I mean, how they explain it in the film. Like, she's just like, it's a garish color and I don't want it. And they go, oh, but we wanted the flag in the matte paintings. And she goes, but we don't fly it. Yeah. yeah. And like, I mean, even like the, when they go to that magical world of chalk or whatever it is, uh, you notice like they're wearing just off red. Like it's a deep orange and stuff like on his suit and in her, uh, yeah. was it? Exactly. They it's not a cover like, band, but yeah. line a lot with red yeah. in the movie. Like, and that reminds me of like, okay, I was just watching a retrospective about Clarissa explains in all the TV show. <laughs> I have a point. I promise. Okay. And so maybe the reason PL Travers was like, no red is there's like this kind of little known rule about running a show or running a big project is picking you pick something really small, mm-hmm. but you never grudge on it. And so for Clarissa explains it all, they also had a color rule. So the guy, uh, the showrunner said no purple. And he would never, and basically the point of it is also you never explain it. So he says, I don't want purple, never explains why I know purple, but it basically shows your power and like, mm-hmm. you know, shows like how you are going to run the show. Of like, yeah make a decision and i stick to it so i think yeah it makes sense it's like with uh and bands and stuff do that too with their their ledgers right like they put something super ridiculous so that they know that if that one thing has been paid attention to that they 
probably done everything else correctly because this really nitpicky thing like i want a bowl with just, just blue m&ms M &M yeah yeah i think that was it was because oh. um one of their roadies got seriously injured by a pyrotechnics display that wasn't put up properly mm -hmm. so basically they did it for the safety of their crew which i thought was very sweet as well yeah yeah so very cool but that's interesting to know about the red i didn't actually know that uh but yeah, like There's you said, it, it took a long time for this movie to get made. So Walt Disney first actually went after the rights to this movie in 1938. Uh, and it wasn't for about 20 years uh, when he finally actually got the go-ahead. Uh, so he didn't get the go-ahead until 1959 uh, and then finally got it put out in 1964. So this was a huge ordeal like you were talking about. And I'm sure she had a lot of comments about it uh as well yeah well, I will what's say... really cool is everything oh, was recorded initially like all their meetings mm -hmm. and so in, when the movie ends while the credits roll they play the tapes of their meetings and you hear like they actually use like direct quotes from everyone oh cool in the film it's Wait, really it's saving cool. mr banks yeah. Saving Mr. Banks, yeah. yeah. Emma yeah. Thompson plays P.L. Travers, and Tom Hanks plays Walt Disney, and it, it's great. Nice. Yeah. I, I, I will have to put that I on my list. Say, yeah. I will say for um, the 20 years thing, though, it is the good thing that it did take 20 years to make, because it went the right role went to the right person at the right time, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Julie Andrews was amazing. And Dick Van Dyke was awesome. Uh, there's no one, I think, in the 30s, though, who could have done... Mary Poppins, like Julie Andrews. No, I think no, about it. Like her voice, her natural voice, just pairs so perfectly with it. And well, she has a perfect voice. Yes, and her singing voice is gorgeous. Also, mm -hmm. if you guys loved how she sang in Mary Poppins, my favorite film of hers, Victor Victoria. Uh, she plays a singer as well, and it's amazing. It's actually surprisingly very progressive for the time it's made in in the sixties. It's raunchy. Oh. A little bit, yes. Um, but it's about, like, this soprano, Julie Andrews, and she can't get a job as a singer in France. Like, she is starving to death, basically, and she bumps into this one gay man, and they save each other, and they, like, you know, scam dinner, um, <laughs> scam dinner out of this restaurant together, and they get caught in the rain, so they hang out together. Their clothes get ruined um, from the rain because they're made of wool, so they shrink while they dry. So Julie Andrews has to put on the clothes of this gay man's ex-lover to just, you know, leave the apartment to go get her stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and she's like, well, I can't do that. It's kind of scandalous at the time because I think this was from the uh, around the 30s or the 20s in France is when it's set. But she goes like, I can't you know just <laughs> i can't just go out dressed as a man so she uh and look like a woman so she you know draws on a mustache and everything oh my gosh and he's able to become a female a very famous female impersonator um so basically it's this woman who can't get a job so she dresses as a man who dresses as a woman because <laughs> she's got oh, this amazing. beautiful amazing. oh my god it's so good I love it. I think it's on HBO last time I checked. I don't know. I'm just a Sound of Music fan. Mm -hmm. And then Julie Andrews beats up three people in the movie, by the way. And she swears the whole time. It's great. 
when you the know it's of Mary Poppins. Yeah, and <laughs> it's like we're talking about her voice, and one thing I found very interesting is before this, uh, Dick Van Dyke didn't actually have much experience singing or dancing. He it's had obvious. never, yeah, never taken a dance class before, but went into this. I thought he did a pretty good job for someone who had never done this stuff before. Um, dancing wise, yes. Singing wise, he's okay. Acting wise, mm. what? I thought he was a great actor. I liked him. Hey, Mary Poppins. Yeah, but that's what that was his character, right? He was that. He's that archetype, like that bubbly kind of. Yeah, but he's an archetype. It's not even close to that accent. True. Yeah, that's not a Cockney accent at oh, all. Oh no, no, his and, accent was. Um, awful. I would argue it's on the level of like British people trying to play Southern uh, uh, Americans, like from the South of the oh, U.S. Oh yeah, you just can't do it. No. <laughs> no, it's also kind of offensive. Yeah, it gets yeah. a little offensive. Like I will say. I think I've said this on the podcast before, but um, the woman who, who played Amelia, is it Amelia Clark who plays Daenerys on yeah. yeah. Sorry? Yes. Okay, so Amelia Clark, she took this role of uh, a woman in Appalachia, in like the, along the Appalachian Trail, which is a very specific accent. And especially if you get really deep into Appalachia, it is a very specific accent. And first of all, this could have gone to an American. We we don't like just not have Americans. And also this was in the middle of a pandemic. So she had to like travel across countries to come and film this again. You they could have gotten a big over. name. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it was just I couldn't even get through the one and a half minute trailer. It was so bad. Oh, geez. It what was. Movie? I can't even remember the name, and I think it bombed, rightly oh, sure. so, because it was like offensively bad accent. And here's the thing: I'm not Appalachian whatsoever. I'm a desert Texan, um, where most Texans don't even really have a discernible accent to most like people. If you're from the South, you know a Texas accent, but you know most people think we talk like you know old old style cowboys. Um, but we all sound like Matthew McConaughey's voice. <laughs> He's from you, there. I would say you sound yeah. discernibly standard American, if that makes sense. I guess so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say, East Texas, you definitely do have like a more pronounced Southern accent. Yeah. West Texas and like Central Texas, you don't have much of anything. Yeah. Um, but East Texas, you definitely do have like a a more sort of discernible accent yeah and um, you're right his accent wasn't great um I, I yeah i thought he did a good job in the role but i agree like his accent wasn't amazing in this i think yeah, that almost he almost needed like more time with a voice coach to uh actually get yeah. that accent down in- instead of what they did and i think that they could have but that was I'm that's not what things happened rain. come on yeah, you know that, uh, so in Singing in the Rain, you know how it's all about going from, you know, silent movies to talkies, mm-hmm. and they have that one actress who is actually just so talented, but she's able to make, like, the most annoying, nasally-sounding voice. Yeah. Yeah. And she's working with the vocal coach, and she's working and working, but there's literally nothing different in how she's saying it. The <laughs> vocal coach is talking to her like there is a change. Oh. I think that's what happened with Dick Van Dyke, Probably. where he was just told yes too much like yes you're doing it and he just overcorrected and went too far over the line yeah it's because he's famous yeah. probably and he was quite famous at this time too that, right yeah 
He was very famous yeah, at this he time. Yeah, he just not told me too much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, do you guys want to jump into the plot and we can talk about some scenes? Oh, yeah. Yes. All right. So in Edwardian London in spring 1910, George Bank returns home at se- n- number 17 Cherry Tree Lane to learn from his wife, uh, Winifred, that Katie Nana has left their service after their children had run away again because they're little shits. Oh my god, I do not like these kids. I'm sorry. Like, I know they're just being kids and stuff, but they drove, I think this is what, their, this is their fifth or sixth nanny who is just like up and quit. Um, yeah, but I think so, oh, so yeah. they want attention from their parents and that's the whole point of the movie, which I understand. However, I agree with you. They were really annoying. I also don't think I feel like these are American kids, you know? Like, I don't mm-hmm. think they're good actors either. No, they're not. And their voices are just, like, a little too high. So it, it kind of reeks of, like, vaudeville almost, yeah. the way they talk. They were also Whereas not good at acting. I'm sorry. Like, well, like I, mean, for kid, I mean, kids aren't good actors. In- well, I don't know. There's a lot of really good kid actors now. But yeah, no, there are definitely brilliant kid actors. Dakota Fanning, what oh, happens. Yeah. But, I mean... De- more so or not true will yeah, get, or more often than not yeah that's true uh you don't like dakota fan <laughs> so uh they had run away four times this week alone and like you said they were trying to get attention but that's still pretty shitty to do to a babysitter and i like how she was just like no i'm done and she like walks away from the park after the kids run away she doesn't go look for them she's just like nope i'm good i'm leaving give me my paycheck yeah, and i'm out also- with this time when they ran away, they were literally just, like chasing a kite. They weren't like trying to hide from her. So I yeah. feel like she had reached her breaking point already, and she was like looking for an excuse to like leave them. Probably. Uh, Probably. This is also where we get the first song, uh, "The Life I Lead," uh, which I didn't like. I, you're gonna hear me say that a lot. I did not like this song. I thought it was. I didn't either. Yeah, it was just it was what it was, and I guess there's only so much you can do. Yeah, I didn't like it either. Uh, it's weird because there's a lot of music that I didn't like in this movie, but at the same time, this movie is one of like the most beloved musical movies and, ever. Yeah, and I, I got some points on that when we get a little bit farther down. Um, so there were, uh, the doorbell rings soon after the song ends, and the constable has the two children who said were lost chasing after a kite. Um... The children ask their father to help them build a better kite, but he dismisses them because he is too busy and tired and is just a man in the 1910s. Um, Taking it upon himself to hire a new nanny, Mr. Banks advertises for a stern, no-nonsense nanny. In contrast, uh, Jane and Michael present their own advertisement for a kinder, sweeter nanny. uh, and I love, I loved their like what they wanted. I was like, that is so sweet. I was I like, that is so cute. super cute. And I was like, okay, so that's that's really what these kids are looking for. They're looking for a little Y'all bit. Asking for too much, though. Well, hold on, though. You know, it just popped into my head. So this is Edwardian England. So we're still in the era of children should should be seen and not heard. Yeah. So maybe all these nannies are getting scared off because the kids, um, because like. So it's sort of portrayed like their mother is very indulgent and lets them do what they like instead of like neither of them are like a disciplinarian type parent like the father comes in and like 
looks over his domain, like he says, his kingdom. He's an authoritarian. And, and sends them to bed. And he's like, that's all I have to do as a dad. So he's not around to be a disciplinarian. Mm-hmm. And the mother doesn't do that. That's true. Um, so I, they aren't being like beaten up like the other kids in Edwardian England at the time. Yeah. And they are also, you know, just doing normal kid things, which aren't being discouraged, which is technically a good way to parent. It's not discouraging, you know, the way kids are because they're still learning how emotions and thoughts and feelings work. Um, But these nannies are going into the situation basically expecting a child who has been disciplined their whole life. Yeah. And they're not getting And that's fair. That's very fair way to look at it. And probably it's true. Because um, Mary Poppins doesn't seem to have any problem with these kids. Because she's like, yep, you speak up and you do your thing. And yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, actually a really like, good point. I think that just Mary Poppins' style of talking to kids, too. It's like, kids don't want to be talked down to. They want to be talked to, you know? But she's still stern. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a good yeah. mix. She says, she says she's like stern but fair. She's not going in with an attitude (laughs) yeah so from here winifred tries to keep the peace uh as mr bank rips up their advertisement and throws it in the fireplace like a big jerk that he is uh but somehow a strong wind (laughs) draws the fragments through the chimney and into the air i don't have a a fireplace or i don't know if the fireplaces are different because I guess they now they have stops and stuff. Could this happen? Like, just scientifically? I mean, scientifically, none of that could happen. You can't go through a chalk portal. You can't. You don't know that. Well, here's the thing: is like if you also like had a window open as well, so the fire's mm. not going. It's very obviously springtime, so it wouldn't be weird to have your windows open as well. The wind goes in like that. It's and. If, like, a window totally opposite uh, of the room from the fireplace is open and a wind comes in, it would very easily push the um, push the pieces of paper up the thing. Yeah. And hey. then also it's magic wind. I can accept that. Oh, and, and fireplaces, I had a fireplace going up. Fireplaces, like, the wind will go down the fireplace, and ours had a stop, too. And yeah. theirs didn't, so... It could have been, like, if with the window, the wind could have gone through the fireplace out the window. Okay. Yeah, because a lot That's of them fair. have, like, fancy latches to, like, stop it. Because also, you know, if you don't close it up when you're not using it, animals can get in the house very easily. The wind can Rain. blow it open. Mm-hmm. It would have made more... It, I think why they did it through the going up the fireplace, though, is because technically, like, technologically, it'd be it's easier to do that. Like, yeah. the pulling of the strings. Oh, I'm sure. Um, all right, so the next day, a number of elderly, soured-faced nannies wait outside the bank's home for Ellen to show them all in. And I think you're right about them. They would have all failed. Like, they all seem too grumpy for these kids. Um, but, of course, a very strong gust of wind blows them away. And it makes me kind of think, you know, I know Mary Poppins was doing this for, like, the kids, but she also just, like, ruined all of these people's chances of getting a job. You know, say something about that too, though. How come none of them were like screaming, like you're yeah. being blown by the <laughs> yeah. wind? Well, that's the whole British like stiff upper lip. They don't have a big reaction to shit. 
Yeah. So I you're like even the most proper person. Like you're being blown by this wind and well, yeah, like tens of feet in the air. Like I've been in windstorms before that have like turned my umbrella upside down or like I've had to use my umbrella as a shield or I've like felt like I was about to get blown away like off my feet. I don't yell about it. I'm just like trying to do my best. But you're yeah. not in the air. Maybe you're like still caught in the moment of like, oh my god, okay. It's like, like oh, this I happened. Have fallen- I fall all the time. True. I don't yell about it anymore. <laughs> so I don't really. Well, none of them were flailing around either. I feel like even if well, they're not well, screaming. One was like holding on to fence. Ha- yeah, one of them on was like actually right? terrified. That's yeah. true. But also that's like too terrifying. She just terrified an entire group of old women. And we don't know how old some of these people are. They could have had heart conditions and stuff. They could have died. Yeah, what happens Mary when Poppy they don't care. Like... When when the wind stops, do they just fall or do yeah. they like yeah, gracefully they just, land? We see one of them land though and get like blown away, and then she's just is so far away she can't get back in time. <laughs> yeah, uh... I just think it just goes to show that like Mary Poppins is a magical being. She yeah. flies in on a gorgeous cloud, which I love. I love that. the special effects for this movie. I have to say, I thought they were really beautiful. Years ahead of their time. I just loved how she uh, just glides in and she's very associated with the weather, you know? Mm -hmm. Like weather and air. Because before we even see like the nanny lead them, we see Bert performing as a one man band and everything. Yeah. I thought that was pretty good. All the ladies and hopefully, and not really getting paid that well and trying to get money. Um, he gets distracted for a minute because the winds have changed. They've blown him from the east. Yeah, because he and knows Mary Poppins too. Signal that Mary Poppins is yeah. coming, and she leaves when the wind blows the other direction. Yeah, I I liked that scene though, but it also reminds me that, like, if you're gonna watch an entire busker show, you you should give him some money. Like, if you're gonna and be you're entertained by him for that long. Yeah. If he knows your name because you come that often. You should also be giving money every yeah. time. So, like, that lady, that sweet older lady that he talked to the most, of course she paid him. Yeah. Um, which I was happy that at least she did. But, like, there was three other ladies he talked to that he very clearly knew because they came yeah. by a lot, and he didn't fucking pay him. Don't be that cheap. Like, yeah. go, and, just go away. It's like a coin. Pay. I'm reminded of this school trip I was on, and I was... I and, like, a couple other girls were hanging around by this, like, chalk, uh, like, a bunch of people were doing big, beautiful chalk paintings on the ground in this public area, and we were watching, and it was gorgeous, and they all had cups out, and one of the teachers came over and was like, hey, guys, if you have time to look, if you have some money, you should give it to them, because you're taking the time to look and watch them do this, you're appreciating their art, so you should take the time to monetarily compensate them you know mm-hmm. yeah like so yeah so that kind of bothered me that no one gave him money i was like come on guys don't like, be a jerk don't be a jerk no, you guys all have like really money. nice clothing on and like come on um he's supposed to be so poor that he doesn't even have the proper cockney accent yeah th- he couldn't afford the cockney accent <laughs> so uh, it's like and then also i didn't like that so the a police officer just stays and watches this whole show and then um, while he's trying to get money is when he muscles him out and goes like get out of yeah. here 
Yeah. Like, you know what he's going to do, and you're still like, okay, I'm going to do this for entertainment. Like, dance, dance, kind of thing. Perform for free and then run you off before you can get paid. Yeah. Pretty crappy. Um, So back to Mary Poppins. Uh, Jane and Michael witness Mary Poppins coming in on her umbrella. Presenting herself to Mr. Banks, Mary Poppins calmly produces the children's restored advertisement and agrees with its request, but promises to uh, the the astonished banker uh, she will be firm with his children. As Mr. Bank puzzles over the uh, advertisement return, uh, Mary Poppins hires herself and convinces him uh, it was originally his idea. This was such a great scene. Like, one, him, like, being very confused that she somehow had the kid's advertisement instead of his. But, like, just that way that she talks around in circles and then suddenly has the job. And it's like, oh, yeah, you hired me. It's it's fine. It's good. And you're like... Yeah, I love the sort of attention to her character that's been paid. Um, I like the way she's been characterized in that she's a smart woman. Not only... Well, she rides in on a cloud, so we know she's magical. Mm-hmm. And then she comes in and she can back it up by, like, actually being smart. She's not bumbling or anything. Yeah. And she knows what she wants and she's getting it. So I think this is the really great character, main character introduction. Mm-hmm. Possibly perfect in every way. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, I thought it was practically perfect. Oh, I think it's practically sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so then, uh, Mary Poppins goes upstairs and meets the children for the first time and helps them magically tidy their nursery by snapping her fingers before heading out for a walk in the park. And I believe this is where we get uh, the first song that's on almost every single Disney compilation ever: "A Spoonful of Sugar." I love it. I love it. I love this song. I've always loved this song. And then uh, I, what I really liked about this movie too is, uh, well, we're we're gonna get to the scene anyway. But when Mr. Banks has his moment of revelation, oh yeah, he brings great. up like all the beautiful things that his kids were talking about, and it shows like how much he cared and actually did listen. Yeah, so the kids know it. Like yeah. he knows supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. He knows spoonful of sugar. Yeah, he. It, <laughs> it shows that and he's he, actually a like he wanted to be a good dad, but is almost like a societal or like yeah he wants to and be looked like up to or he, he doesn't know how to be remembered the joke that his son told him from was it uncle albert was the laughing guy i, I think so I forget yeah his actual name but like there's like all these little things that he pulls in that really shows that he was a, he wants to be a good dad and he does try to be a good dad but trying to provide for his family as well he like lost sight of the best way to provide for his kids yeah like he's been spending too much time around these really toxic work co-workers that are filling his head with these like totally wrong ideas of how to have a family and so george is just like pulled between two things of like what he knows is right and what he's being told is right without yeah. a parent exactly uh from here, we go outside for their walk, and we meet Mary Poppins' old friend, Bert, who we've now talked about uh, with his terrible Cockney accent, working as a street painter. Uh, Mary Poppins uses her magic to transform or transport them into the drawings after Bert sets them up to do it, and she's just like, no, you're doing this wrong. Like, you're no, stop. Stop trying. She's uh, the magical one. Yeah, exactly. Bert, you're just a painter. While the children ride on a carousel... 
Just a painter. How rude. I know, right? That is so neat. He's trying to make a living no, in hard city. He's great. Um, I feel bad for the. I feel bad for the chimney sweet part. Like that must have been a terrible life. But, uh, where was I? Mary Poppins and Bert go on a leisurely stroll, uh, and they sing "Holly Jolly" here. Um, Bert flirts with Mary Poppins because who wouldn't? This girl is magical and she's pretty uh, attractive as well. After the duo meets up with the children, Mary Poppins enchants the carousel horses and Bert rescues a fox from the fox hunt. I thought this entire scene is just so weird. I thought it was, I kind of, I liked parts of it. I think it just went on for too long. Um, yeah. Because I really liked Supercalifragilistic. I loved that song. Mm-hmm. But I thought the lead up was a little short. And I liked that it was also like a characterization for Bert. Because throughout the movie, we see that he's not magical, but he's just such a kind and caring person that all these very powerful magicians and like powerful beings, I don't know if they're magicians, um, have like taken them into their families and lives because they yeah. know that he's like such a mm-hmm. kind person. Yeah. And he goes, oh, do you want a ride? And, like, gives the fox a ride. He, you know, plays along with the kids. And, like, he's just met these children and he wants to play with them and be copied. Yeah. Which is, like, not a really a thing that happened in Edwardian England. Mm-hmm. And really quick, when you were talking about how they flirted, uh, Mary and Bert. So Walt wanted them to get together in the movie. But P.L. Travers was super against it. And she's I like, they're, they're, so, they're just friends, apparently, in her books. And so she was, like, really scandalized that they want to, like, make a relationship out of nothing. And she, like, went on this whole long rambling thing about, like, you know, it, it, not everything has to be a relationship. Well, I kind of agree with her on that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I thought it was interesting and I liked that she stood her ground on that because I don't think this movie needed that. No, I think that would have added too much to like I, if you have to develop a romantic plot line, how much longer would it be? Yeah, and I did like the flirting because I mean even like it, you flirt with friends that was, yeah like you just yeah. it's just even part just of a relationship like, right? I flirt with you guys. Oh, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, like I just I think the flirting is good. I agree though. I don't think they actually needed to get together. I think that it's like just kind of harmless friendly flirting like it's just like they have that kind of relationship with each other and then uh, even she so goes away. I think it could have even be it didn't even necessarily have to be even classified as actually like flirting you're just like messing around with your friend yeah yeah it that's didn't true even too. get into, like you know the whole sexual innu- innuendo that happens with flirting now mm-hmm. yeah. but i that's think true. the way i talk to my friends sometimes yeah we mess around yeah uh, so from here, uh, they take part in a horse race, which Mary Poppins obviously wins. Uh, describing her victory, Mary Poppins uses a nonsense word that we just talked about, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Uh, the outing is ended when a thunderstorm dissolves Bert's drawings, which is super sad. Like, those, they were really nice drawings. <laughs> but also, so I'm really, uh, yeah, and because of this, they return back to London. Um, the next day, the three meet Bert's odd uncle, Albert, uh, who is floating in the air of, of his uncontrollable laughter. And they join him for a tea party on the ceiling with lots of jokes. And here's where we get, I love to laugh. I wasn't crazy about this scene. I liked parts of it, but I thought it was weird. 
and like not in a yeah, good weird I either. Agree with that. I was weird about it though. I think the way it was acted. Uh... I don't like the whole speak singing thing. Yeah, um, I have to. It has to be a really good song for the whole speak th- singing thing, which is also why I had some hard time with Bert's songs. It had to be done so in the right way. Yeah, yeah, it has to be done a certain way, and. I also wrote in my notes, like, maybe I'm too depressed to get this, but I, I don't get this. <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe I just didn't understand the scene maybe fully, I'm too but. depressed right now. <laughs> just, yeah, oh, it didn't then, hit me. Yeah, I, sorry, one more song that we haven't talked about yet that's happened in the plot is Sister Suffragette. So when the mother comes home. Right. After the nanny has quit. And I describe, I put like a little, basically, blurb for each song that i you know felt needed some whatever yep um i labeled it the white feminism song <laughs> yeah because oh. it's all it, it's always talk. she's talking about um votes for women and being free to do what they want and blah 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 but she's talking about all her lady society friends and she's talking to the women she employs to do all her housework so that she can go out and do this. Yeah. If she didn't have her maids and she didn't have her nannies, she wouldn't be able to go out and protest. And and this is the case for most of the women in first wave feminism um, of trying to get the vote. So in first wave feminism, it was dominated by white women. Rich white and, women. Um, sorry? Rich white women. Yes. It, well, I was getting to that, but it, yeah. Oh, yeah women and then it was women who could have who were very advantageously married who had this extra money because again these white women weren't rich on their own they were rich because they married someone and unfortunately uh susan b anthony one of the leaders of this movement and a lot of the other leaders it's not just susan b anthony it's the only name i wrote down sorry (laughs) uh mary wollstonecraft um these feminists uh, at the same time, black people were also advocating for the right to vote and the right to be their own person uh, under the law. I mean, they were viewed as people at this point, but they needed to be viewed as like people under the law, as in citizens. As in equals. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. And the African-American and the, uh, no, just the, the black citizens, they came to these white feminists and were talking to them and basically saying do you want to join forces we could have even more funding and advocate for votes for all and the white women were like thanks but no thanks and uh it led to a lot of black women at this time who were advocating for the right to vote they were very frustrated because oh if you get it i won't get to vote because i'm black but if my black friends get the vote and you don't i still won't be able to vote because i'm a woman oh you know yeah and so there's the whole anti-woman speech um oh my god i'm a terrible i'm a terrible historian i'm totally forgetting who it's not ida b wells because she's she's a totally different very fascinating black woman who's an advocate uh for anti-racism hold on I'm Googling anti-woman speech. Uh, It's by Sojourner Truth. Oh my god. I can't believe I forgot that because that's such a badass name too. 
to Sojourner Truth. And she was probably the most vocal of these black women feminists who were trying to see because they didn't fit in with either party, basically, because they were closed out of the conversations with black men. And then they were closed out of the conversations with white women. Mm. That's uh, so anyway, white feminism. So that's all I could think of while she was singing, because she's not singing for all women. No. And even though, yes, this is a noble thing that she's fighting for, and it is technically a good thing she's fighting for, it is kind of, through a modern lens, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of hard to listen to, because there's absolutely no nuance in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did like the one line, though, where she's like, while we adore men uh, on their own, as a whole, we agree they're quite stupid. <laughs> and I'm just saying, a lot of the problems yeah. that are going on, that are affecting me directly right now in, go- in the American government, are by these dumbass white men. <laughs> yep. The sons of the dumbass white men she's talking about, because they're that fucking old. They're all old. <laughs> old white people. Um... So afterwards, uh, after the tea party, uh, Mr. Banks becomes very annoyed by the household's cheery atmosphere, and he threatens to fire Mary Poppins, but she manipulates him again into taking the children to his workplace, the bank. Not a great idea. Not just, uh, one, kids would not have fun at the bank. They would just sit there and do nothing, and they would be (laughs) miserable. But two, maybe bring your children to a very professional work environment that doesn't seem super into kids maybe not the best place to bring them uh yeah, as we see suitable for them yeah i can speak from experience because my dad did work at a bank he's worked at banks my entire life and i have been to the offices he worked at and it wasn't just a bank it was it at a bank yeah so there's nothing to do yeah it's boring it's boring for kids uh but mary poppins knew what she was doing that evening mary tells the children uh of the woman who sits by saint paul's cathedral selling bird feed and we get feed the bird song here uh another song that you know this part probably could have been cut out a bit uh the next day at the bank the children meet dr uh or mr dawes Mr. Dawes aggressively urges Michael to invest his tuppence in the bank that he was going to use for bird feed, if I remember correctly. Um, it's like crumbs. Yeah, breadcrumbs to yeah. feed the bird. Yeah. Which, uh, I love feed the birds. I thought that was such a pretty song. Yeah. I just, I thought the scene was, like, it didn't need to be there. Again, this is me talking through, like, a, this dragged on and on. Uh, but the scene... I, I kind of thought that this needed to be in there so that George, the father, could see, um, he, he could see, like, the horrible things that were happening to his, he could see that, like, his job didn't care about his family, actually, you know? Yeah. It, Sorry. It humanizes him. Sorry, what I meant was the part with the bird, like, the seed, like, the, the, the woman selling needed, bird like, feed. something like that. I don't think they could go on with the kite storyline anymore because like True. I think they needed something along those lines. Yeah. Where... Okay, that's fair. And I guess and like it, it gives them a reason to have money too. Like it gives the kid a reason to have money at the bank. Exactly. And uh, also I really 
I do not remember them snatching the money out of Michael's hand while he's saying no. That's literally, you consent, yeah. guys. You have to consent Especially, <laughs> to yeah. give your money. <laughs> yeah, you can't just take their money. Um, yeah, and it's a child. Yeah, and who's saying no, I'm going to use this for something else. Um, we also get a song here called Fidelity Fiduciary Bank. Um, I did not like it. I did not like it. It was, yep. it was yeah, it was not for me. Yeah, I just not for don't me. Don't like and maybe <laughs> I just didn't like any of the songs by white men in this movie. Yeah. Uh, so from here, Michael demands uh, the money back. Uh, other customers start overhearing the conflict, and they all start demanding their money back when uh, Mister Dawes says, "No, you can't have your money." Uh, and it creates like banks works. Yeah, well, yeah, well it this does. Definitely shows the time period they were talking about because you know this is around almost around the time um, that we have the stock market crash where yeah. something along this lines happens, and that's why we had what's it called Black? I know Black Monday happened in the eighties, but Black. Uh, well, wasn't with the Black crash? Sunday, I think. Yeah, where they had to like close all the banks the, and stuff. Yeah, so this, like, mythical person came into a bank and was like, I need to close my account. I'm, like, leaving the state or whatever. Because at this time, you know, the Dust Bowl was happening. A bunch of farmers were leaving to go to California to see if mm -hmm. they could make it out there because that was the only good farmland people were talking about. Uh, or if there wasn't good farmland, there was gold where they could go out there. Yeah. Um, and they didn't have any money in the bank because the bank was broke. And mm -hmm. so they said, oh, we can't give you money. And then word spread so fast around this tiny town. And then it spread even faster through newspapers because there's, you know, not a lot to report on. And news was pretty no, sensational. <laughs> and it led to everyone swarming the banks and demanding their money back when there was no money to be given. Yeah. And I think it's, it's called a bank run. Um, it is. But yeah, so... I thought this this part of the scene was really good because it was just like one of those moments you're like, this is the kind of thing that probably would happen. Like, this isn't out of the question. Like, that people would go crazy when something happened and they overheard something like, you can't have your money. Like, if I heard that at a bank, someone saying, you can't have your money back, I would probably be like, you know what? Maybe I'm going to go to another bank. <laughs> Yeah, that's not a good bank. Yeah. Like, this is my money. You do not own my money. Um, oh, and then one more thing about the bank. Okay, I was talking to my grandfather over Christmas break, and here's the thing about the title Esquire and how it's different in England versus America, and maybe Canada. Maybe you can weigh in here. So in America, nowadays, Esquire means you're a lawyer and you have a law degree, but Esquire after your name. And my grandfather was saying, he was a kid in England, and well, he was an adult when he left England. But anyway, in England, you can have Esquire after your name if you have like a certain degree and if you're in a job. So the reason Banks um, is an Esquire, because he's introduced as like George Banks Esquire, hmm. it's because he's a banker. He's not actually a lawyer. Okay. How weird is that? That's weird. Yeah, up here it's also a lawyer. Uh, 
Okay. Yeah. But it could mean like banker or like you, I, he talked about it. Like you could just put it behind your name (laughs) to sound fancy, but I think it meant like you had a certain like level of schooling basically. Mm -hmm. Like from the rest. Yeah. Yeah. Basically if you're rich enough to be sent to school or basically like a bachelor's degree, I guess Mm -hmm. back then you had Esquire. Okay. I don't know. Hmm. I did not fact check that. I will be honest. That's okay. I'm sure that someone will tell us if we are wrong. Uh, so Jane and Michael flee the bank, uh, getting lost in the east end of London until they meet up again with Bert, who always just seems to be in the right place at the right time, who is now working as a chimney sweep. Man, this guy hustles like crazy. Uh, what is this? His fourth job we've seen in this movie? Uh, yeah, who... I think you're the fourth job. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so who escorts uh, them home with the great song? And this is actually one of my favorite is Chim Chimmery. I've always really liked this song. Um, so cute. Yeah. And we... it's because like his accent isn't as pronounced. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the only song where he like really, well, I mean, super califactalistic, but where he, uh, I like from him. Like, yeah. Yeah. But it's like him by himself. This is also the last song that we will see that is on every single uh, Disney compilation CD ever. This Supercalifragilistic and Spoonful of Sugar on every single one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the three and Mary Poppins yep. venture onto the rooftops where they have a song and dance number uh, Other with the other chimney sweeps, which spills out onto Mr. Banks's home called Step in Time. And a fun fact about this, it was supposed to be two minutes long. This entire what scene. happened? It was already. It already felt like so long. <laughs> yeah, it was supposed to be two minutes. It came out to fourteen minutes after adding the chimney sweets, uh, gravity-defying moves. Uh, the reason why it was there is because Walt decided to make it longer. That's the only reason he had. He's In like his Walt Disney way. Yeah. Uh, that is very characteristic of him, though. Yeah. Early production, there was a request to cut the lengthy scene, uh, but Walt just decided to make it longer instead. <laughs> and I was like, what? What are you doing, man? Like, this is already so long. Um, after the neighbors, uh, the neighbor Amaral Boom shoots fireworks at them, uh, mistaking them for robbers, uh, which I thought, again, I love the Amaral stuff, but it's also really weird. <laughs> like, Yeah, and he shoots... Um, fireworks at them. Yeah. Like it's... And also, that's not how fireworks look when they go off. No, uh, it's not. At all. <laughs> no. My dad's a pyromaniac. I should know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I feel kind of bad for this uh, old sea captain because I feel like he's just really senile at this point. Yeah. And I feel really bad for him. But also, why wouldn't you give him a gun? Because his, like, first mate is very clearly fully cognizant of what's going on oh yeah he's enabler. indulging yeah he's enabling yeah. Him, for sure oh yeah which you can do but you can't shoot people yeah you can shoot like a fake cannon. i'm guessing it always seemed like it was a fake cannon like it was just like we have a, a yeah, cannon that goes off every day point, i was very sure that it was like fake ish because obviously they had to light it and everything and use gunpowder which is why everything was shaking but 
Also, I have been around a cannon going off. I lived in the South where we they like to do Civil War reenactments. I've never been in one, but I've had to endure one. <laughs> oh. Yeah, they're loud, but they don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, they don't shake everything. So now I'm wondering if, like, he ha- was actually shooting, shooting a cannon. <laughs> like, all, every time? Yeah, oh, jeez. I have been around a cannon shooting blanks, you know? Yeah. Kind of like a pop, isn't it? I mean, it's a pretty loud bang. It's, it's loud. Yeah. We have it's a, like, uh, I think it's a this... 7 o'clock cannon or 8 o'clock cannon where I live, and it goes off every day at that time, and it's pretty loud if you're actually in the park with it. Why do you have a cannon going on? <laughs> uh, it's, it's part of our, I guess it's, I actually don't know the history, but it's in one of our, like, big parks here, and it's just, it's a thing that happens every day, and I have to assume that it's some kind of history uh, type thing. Like they probably well, did then, it. I'd yeah. like you to come back to class with a full report when we meet next week, please. All right. If I if I remember, I will actually get that together because I'm sure there is a story behind it. I just don't know it. <laughs> yeah, I love learning about Canadian history because we never really learned it in school. Yeah. And America does not like, like Canada. We, learn, I mean, I we learned, learned all about yours. <laughs> we learned all about I've American history. I've heard that actually we're like a lot of other countries learn about our history, but we don't learn about theirs. Yeah. Which, I Which is really ironic. Fun. A lot of other countries learn about our history, but we don't even learn about our history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which, by the way, um, I have a very interesting book corner for our listeners at the end of the episode. Oh, nice. Found a very cool book for everyone. Awesome. Um, so from here, we have Mr. and Mrs. Banks returning home to find Bert's friends dancing in their home uh, and sending them away. Which makes sense, because if there was a bunch of grown men covered in soot... Who I didn't know dancing around my house, I'd probably be like, "You need to leave." You need, yeah. You, yeah sorry, I'm grabbing my wife and throwing her everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, y- "Y'all need to leave right now, or I'm going to call the cops." <laughs> I liked that they were all very polite when they left too. Yeah. Oh, they were just there for a good time. Yes, they like yeah. give a handshake. You have a lovely home. Goodbye. Yeah, <laughs> they weren't there maliciously. They weren't stealing anything. They were just like you know they got invited in by Mary Poppins and they were having a, a good old they're, dance they're party. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was, you know, what just popped in my head when I said they were just there to dance. It's like, do you guys watch Bob's Burgers? No. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, Ben, do you watch? Mm-mm. No, I've no? never watched it. You need okay. to get on it. You would actually very much like it, I think. Um, I'm sure I would. I think it's part of the three of our tastes match up. Yeah, but there's a very funny, like, side character named Jimmy Jr. And his dad owns a restaurant, but all he wants to do is dance. And he's got, like, this very wet lisp. And so he just, very, he, he just, his catchphrase, I guess, is... I just want to dance, Dad. <laughs> and he's like, Amazing. with only his hips. Amazing. You know? Um, and he's having a great time. But if you... I know for a fact it's on Hulu. I think it's on Disney Plus um, here. Okay. Yeah, because I think I saw that on there. Uh, and then, if not, you can find a Jimmy Jr. compilation in, like... YouTube. YouTube Problem. Yeah. Um, I love the show, and anyway, I was just thinking, it's just a bunch of Jimmy Juniors, is what the chimney <laughs> says. Oh, okay. Uh, so from here, Mr. Banks gets a phone call from the bank requesting a meeting with him about his what his children did. 
Uh, his children overhear the phone call and realize that their father is in big trouble, which, uh, mm, uh, yeah, yeah, that's super shitty at the bank. Like, fuck them. Uh, Bert tells Mr. Banks that he needs to spend more time with his children before they grow up. And this is where we get a man has a dreams. Um, I didn't mind this song. It wasn't great. It was okay. I don't know what you yeah, guys thought I about it. Yeah, I honestly, now that we're sitting down talking about it, I do not remember it. What I really remember is when he has to go to, when Mr. Banks has to go to the bank. Yeah. It's a very yeah. confusing sentence. And they just periodically, like, destroy all the, like, things that signify he's a banker there. Mm-hmm. Like, they rip up flower in his lapel and then they their butler like takes off his bowler hat and punches, punches it and it's such a jerk head. move oh I my god that's such it. a it jerk was, move no one else is wearing a bowler hat in the bank so that's very that seems to me it was just his, his personal hat so they're yeah. just destroying his property yeah but i mean and to be they, fair like, they tried to steal from a child so like this and then like they open up his umbrella too far and break it yeah but it's <laughs> like that's so shitty. But it's also like, really, guys? Like, you can just you you had to take his job as well as like you had to ruin his nice hat. Like that was a nice hat. You ruined the nice yeah. hat. They had to ruin that flower for no reason. Like, come on, guys. Like you could have just taken the flower and been like, this is ours now. Yeah, and then fashion wise, in this time period, people had like one good hat. Even if they were fairly well off, like the Banks family, mm-hmm. they didn't have like a bunch of different changes of clothes like we have today. They had a lot of different undergarments, which kept their clothes fresh and nicer for much longer. So they were able to wear it like two or three times during the week. So people usually had maybe four dresses if they were really rich and they would cycle them through. And then therefore, like they maybe had three suits tops yeah, and probably one hat. So they're killing his one hat as a way to like maybe not. Be like you're no Let longer as nice for his you're job. You're not one of us. Yeah, you, yeah. It, it's it's very just like and maybe not disturbing is the right word, but like it was very like it hit me. I was like, wow, like what the hell? Like why why are they doing this like extra step? Just I think also the look on his face, which I think the best actors in this movie are like Julie Andrews and. I forget the actor who plays Mr. Banks, but I think he has... The dad. Yeah, like, the dad is... I think he's probably, like, up there with, you know, on the talent, same bar as Julie Andrews' talent level with just acting. Yeah. Like, you really feel how he's just, like, devastated in this moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause, and it's almost like I could hear, feel his mind going, like, oh, my God, I have two kids at home. I have a wife to support. I have rent due soon. Yeah. I have to, I have like three people who run my household as well that I have to pay. What yeah. am I going to do for money? And then you get this like very interesting moment where he, he's looking at the tuppence for words. He, and he blurts out supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Wow. That is still a hard word to say. Um, uh, tells Just Uncle Albert a uh, wooden leg named Smith a joke uh, that his child told him. I thought that joke was hilarious. Um, it too. And happily heads home uh, as the Mr. Dawes starts laughing at the joke and <laughs> floats into the air. I assume, and he dies. And he dies. <laughs> Just like, well, off screen. <laughs> he, 
I kind of took the laughing going up as him dying and leaving his body. <laughs> like, what? No, he's laughing like uh, in I the know. tea party where everyone's laughing so much they float up. Yeah, I know, but I I think there's the metaphor of he is death. Yeah, like that's his soul leaving his body kind of thing. He had a heart attack for sure. Um, but yeah, so he starts floating up. I know, like, with the story itself, like, it's definitely the, he finally got a good laugh and, like, floated, but yeah. when I saw that, I was I like, mean, all right, well, he's, he's dead. barely alive. Yeah. Which also, I thought Dick Dan- Van Dyke did a great job portraying the old man. Like, I thought that was mm-hmm. great old age makeup, and I thought he did a great job with the physical comedy of the role. Yeah. And I think that he did a great job with one accent, at least. <laughs> He just couldn't I do the Cockney. Was, I thought it was a really well done old man type accent with, you know, British accent thrown yeah. in. But it, yeah. It sounds like a grandpa, I, which, who is an old British man, you know? <laughs> yeah. And actually, it's funny. It reminds me a lot of uh, Neil Patrick Harris in a series of unfortunate events. Like that, the, kind of that switch, that old man. Like it just seems so flawless. It's good. It was a pretty good series. I liked it. Is it accurate to the books? Because I really yeah. like the books. Okay. Oh, yeah. It's more accurate, more accurate than, than movies. the Harry movies. Yeah. Yeah, because the movies, I, I couldn't watch it. Yeah, I it would really good I'd movies, give the but, uh, show a try. What's really cool is with the TV show, you know how, like, halfway through it starts getting more into, like, the conspiracy with, like, VFD and the whole secret society thing? They yeah. tie it more into the earlier books that they do for each... So each um, season is like a whole book. Yeah. So they have a lot like of time to go through all the little connections. Yeah. Um, which I really liked. And I thought everyone really put their all into the TV show. Yeah. The TV show was so, good. I would definitely suggest it if you have uh, okay. some time. Yeah. But let's get to the last of this plot. The next day, the wind changes, meaning Mary Poppins must leave. A happier Mr. Banks is found at home having fixed his child's kite or his children's kite, I guess, and takes the family out to fly it in the park. Uh, Mr. Bank meets with Mr. Dawes's sons, uh, Mr. Dawes Jr., who reveals that his father died laughing at the joke. And here we get, uh, let go fly a kite. Uh, sorry, let's go fly a kite. Uh, although initially sorry, Mr. Banks soon becomes happy for him since Mr. Dawes Jr. had never seen his father happier in his life and re-employs Mr. Banks as a junior partner. So I guess the lesson here is if you accidentally kill your boss, you just get a promotion. <laughs> that's, uh, that's how it works, right? Uh, with her work corporate done... espionage. Oh yeah, corporate espionage. There you go. With her work done, Mary Poppins ends the movie by flying away, with Bert telling her not to stay away too long. Of course, we know that she stayed away for, like, what, 50 years? 55 years? Something like that? Well, no, she stayed away from the Banks family for 50 years. Yeah, I haven't actually seen the newer Mary Poppins. Uh, I actually haven't either, but, yeah. you know, she's talking about the Banks oh. children, or, you know. I thought, yeah, I, it is about the Banks family, isn't it, the new one? Maybe. Yeah, so the brother and sister have grown up and they're back in the house and one of them has has kids. And that's like all I know. Okay. And Lin- Lin-Manuel Miranda plays Bert for some reason. They still it's couldn't even... get a real British person, which I it's don't understand. Why? 
Well, I think it's, it's the star power of Lin-Manuel Miranda at this well, time. It goes both ways, though. It's like, okay, don't cast a white person for a person of color role. I mean, shouldn't it like be, you know, don't cast a non-British person for a non-British role? Nah, they do that all the time. So, yeah. Um, I will say, though, with like colorblind casting, because Lin-Manuel Miranda isn't white. Mm-hmm. And so, again, they're like doing that. I actually don't mind when that happens if they you know put a little more color into movies nowadays so i mean i'm just upset that it's not a british person there's plenty of british people yeah, who are not yeah. nowadays well I actually understand but for me it's just one of those that's like continuity kind of things actually the continuity is weird but i mean to be fair yeah. bert would probably be not, i'm not gonna say dead but he'd be dead by this point no probably... but Bert is like a magical being, I think. Yeah, as I think well so as too. Mary Poppins, which is why neither of them age, I think. Yeah. Uh, at least they didn't like try and CGI them in, because that would have been a, a mess. Oh, ew! Yeah. We could have uh, done another Princess Leia, Grand Moff Tarkin from Star Wars. You know, actually, I rewatched. I rewatched uh, oh, so Rogue One, and it looks better than it did in theaters. Yeah. Um. So maybe they messed with it. I wouldn't put it past George Lucas to keep messing with stuff. Well, he doesn't really, he's not really part of it anymore. Anyways, I watched a a bunch of Star Wars movies with my family over Christmas break because they wanted to use my Disney Plus account. (laughs) Um, And so we watched that. And what was really interesting is my parents saw the original trilogy in theaters. Mm -hmm. So they were pointing out all the stuff that George had added Oh yeah, for the um, digital release over the years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it still looks so weird when they make Han like move his. They head. like digitally make his head move. Cause, yeah, like because shoots first instead of Greedo, and yeah. it's like a whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's a whole thing. But that is Mary Poppins. Um, so, I guess my question to you guys is: Did you enjoy this movie? Like parts. Yeah. I had to take a break halfway through because it was so long. Me too. But mm-hmm. I did enjoy most of it. I'll say that. I, I didn't... I enjoyed most of it, but it just took too long yeah. to get yeah. to where it needed to go. And I would agree with that. I think that there were definitely moments of brilliance in it. I think that some of the songs were amazing. But it seemed like there was they tried to jam-pack too much into it. And that could have been because of the... Uh, writer as well wanting to stay super correct to the book but that also could just be the bloating of scenes that could have been a couple seconds but ended up being a couple minutes they actually added a lot to the movies that were just absolutely nothing not even like the books apparently yeah so honestly if you're thinking about rewatching mary poppins i would recommend actually just watching saving mr banks because you hear all the songs that you like from the movie, but none of the bad ones. And yep. what's interesting is actually while the movie goes on, P.L. Travers, so Emma Thompson as her, has like all these flashbacks to her childhood, which informed how she wrote Mary Poppins because Mary Poppins is actually based on a real person that came and helped her family when they oh. were close to destitute and had to move to Australia. Oh, wow. That's because cool. Because her father, a banker, lost his job because he's like an alcoholic. Oh, okay. And yeah, there's this whole really interesting story behind how she came up with this uh, book series that That's became really so that. love it. 
it's called Saving Mr. Banks, right? Yes. Okay, I'll have to put that it on my list Disney to watch because that's that sounds like a great movie. Yeah, uh, I will I think that's say parents might enjoy too. Yeah, I will say they do make Walt Disney a much more sympathetic figure in the movie than he is in real life. Yeah, especially in the situation because they write in in the end during the premiere, P.L. Travers goes there after Walt Disney shows up on her doorstep in England and like asks her to come. He didn't even invite her to what? the premiere, but she still showed up. Yeah, of course I was. And, um, yeah, like he really didn't like her because she wouldn't let him go wild with her baby. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And he just, there was like a lot of entitlement, I guess. I haven't done too much research into the situation, but I, you know, I've uh, watched like some things and I've read some things. So I'm not like fully informed on exactly their relationship, but he almost felt like entitled to change the story because he spent so much time pursuing the story, pursuing Mm -hmm. the right. He felt like it's his own. So he felt like it's his. And the way he talks about it is, like, he wanted it because his daughters loved the books. Yeah. That's, yeah. And because he's so wrapped up in this, because he's been pursuing this for, like, almost 20 years, like you said. Like, he wanted it desperately. Mm -hmm. And he finally gets his hands on it, and now he can't do what he wants with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what happens, right? You need to respect other people's work just like you want them to respect yours. Um. But yeah, I don't know. But I just Bill Travers came in and was kind of disrespectful towards his work and like called him kind yeah. of food. Yeah. But I think overall I would end up I wouldn't recommend this to anybody ever. I just maybe at the time, like I re- didn't really like this as a kid either. Um but Yeah, I wasn't a Mary Poppins kid. Yeah, I was not a Mary Poppins kid. So I don't have any nostalgia for it. Which means I just, I watch it and I'm like, all right, well, this is just a really slow movie about yeah, I didn't a like it somewhat either. dysfunctional family and kids who are probably imagining a friend. You know, my favorite thing, though, about Mary Poppins isn't actually from the movie, though. Like, how can we talk about Mary Poppins without talking about the Oscar shade that Julie Andrews threw? Oh, did she throw so, shade at the Oscars? So what happened at the Oscars is that Julie Andrews, uh, what happened was she wanted to be cast in My Fair Lady, but that role went to Audrey Hepburn. Yeah, she originated the role on Broadway and in the West End of Eliza Doolittle, but they just totally skipped over her and went to Audrey Hepburn, who was the bigger name at the time. You know, she was mm-hmm. she was really popular. She was she was kind of like the it girl of Ho- well, one of the it girls of Hollywood, right? So they, they went to her. Audrey yeah. learned to sing for the role, and they dubbed her without her knowledge. What? Yeah. So it yeah. should have gone to someone who, who could have sang the way they wanted to but yeah so the point what happened is that she got the role of mary poppins instead and so she won at the oscars and she she said uh thank you to walt disney because he casted her and thank you to the people who rejected her from um oh yes lady so she could Mm. win the oscar Mm, well, she I love thanked that. the people at Warner Brothers who rejected her yeah. first, yeah. and then Walt Disney. That's amazing. Because uh, she wouldn't have been available for anything if she mm-hmm. accepted. Yeah. And I do recommend anyone um, to listen to her recordings of Eliza, because even though My Fair Lady, the movie, does have some very beautiful singing in it, Julie Andrews is like unmatched. Yeah. You know? well, she's Julie Andrews. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and the best thing. Gorgeous go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. 
And the best thing about the Oscar race, too, is that she was against Audrey Hepburn for the Oscar, too. Oh, yes. Yeah, so they were both up for it. And um, I think Audrey was done dirty because she actually initially rejected it and was like, I can't sing. And so she agreed and then was like, okay, I'll, I'll go to a voice coach. And she actually, I have heard the recordings of her singing. She's actually pretty good. Yeah. So I don't know why they dubbed her. Oh, speaking of dubbing in old Hollywood and Julie Andrew movies, did you know that Christopher Plummer was dubbed in Sound of Music 2? Oh, jeez. There's when a I Sound of Music out, 2? When I found that out, I was heartbroken. I mean, you can find the real version of Edelweiss on YouTube. Oh. He still has a good voice, but it's not like, yeah. you know, this yeah. kind of anonymous yeah. oh, voice, but it's still good. I thought Sound of Music 2 is in there's a sequel I don't know about. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. But but yeah, like dubbing in old Hollywood was very much a thing. Like I I did a little research on this like way back then. But there was um there was actually a lot of voice dubbers and then there was like really two big famous voice dubbers that did a lot of the singing for the old Hollywood stars and one of them was for Audrey Hepburn in My Fair Lady and the male one was the one for Christopher Plummer in the sound of music. I mean, it makes sense, just, too. Like, I, I, it sucks that you didn't tell them or didn't inform them, but it makes sense, like, if, they not, if they're not strong enough singers at that time, like, you know, well, you need to have the most strong thing to go out. It sucks that they didn't tell them or talk to them about it, but yeah. at that point, why would you, why did you hire them? I, I guess star value, but, like, if they can't do what you want for the thing, but I guess it was purely star value. But I think that's also a testament to how good of a singer Julie Andrews is to bring it full circle is because that role requires a lot of singing and in the sound of music it requires someone who can keep up with her vocally. Yeah. 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 And then yeah. again, about Julie Andrews in Victor Victoria, she's like singing the whole movie. It's gorgeous. It showcases her voice and her range beautifully. Um, there's like a running gag of her breaking glass with her like high C, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which I, I'm so scared of people who can do that because I feel like they're just so powerful. Yeah, <laughs> it's like she a superpower is, by she's itself. She's the queen of Genovia. She is powerful. Yes. Oh my well, god, are we gonna review the Princess Diaries as one-offs? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. We have to. Yeah, of course. I well, still watch those movies. There's gonna be a lot of one-offs that we do that. I think will be really fun, and there's going to be some that we probably won't want to do, but I think we'll end up doing them anyways, we like have the to Descendants. Do of the Caribbean. Oh, oh, I oh. love the Descendants. Don't you dare! Oh no, I I loved it. I liked the first one and the second one. The third one I wasn't crazy about. I've actually never seen any of them. Or maybe it was the first and third I liked. I like the, the one with Ursula. One, I love. I like the first one. Yeah, it was. It's they're fun movies. Like you have to go in expecting very little, but they're fun. They're they're really well sung. Um, we're doing a lot of the decoms. I've heard that where they're like, "Oh, they're it's fun," but I yeah. will say, "Can I be a brat for one second? But my birthday's in July. Can we do a Princess Diaries? Yep, watch for my birthday." Oh man, I'm I just realized to. that because I Julie think Andrews fan, fan club, I will. And uh, it's actually my birthday next week, so I'm glad we're doing Jungle Book. Uh, actually, are we doing Jungle Book next week? Uh, let me double check. Uh, yes. That. Yes. So. Uh, yeah, next week's my birthday. Next Wednesday. Uh, in September, we have to do something for my yeah. birthday. So well, I wish you a happy birthday next week. Yeah, I'm very excited to uh, do Jungle Book for that because it's one of my favorite movies. Uh, yeah. Oh, no. Tell us. 
Sorry? How, How old, old will I be? Now? 33. <laughs> or I'll That's turn 33 exciting. next week, yeah. That's so exciting. Yeah. Um, I hear your 30s are more fun than your 20s. They're not. <laughs> I don't know you have more money in my yeah sure that's true actually having more money and like being able to go do things like just for fun is great but in my 20s I had so much less responsibility and I kind of liked that <laughs> I liked being in school uh, even if I was a poor student I still loved being in school I don't, I'm looking forward to my 30s yeah like, they're okay taken seriously as an adult yeah well I still look like I'm 23 so that's good too. I still though. take. I, I still don't get taken seriously. Um, awesome. Is there anything else that you guys want to talk about about this movie before we jump into our rankings? Um. Oh, I. So the things that I really liked about the movie, other than the gorgeous matte paintings and everything, I liked that this movie isn't afraid to kind of go dark. Like this final act was very dark for a children's movie and I like that they didn't shy away from it. You have this extended shot of Mr. Banks walking home with like this very sad music behind him, very dejected and you know, you don't know that he's going to get a job. That's like just this weird one-off, one-act thing Mm -hmm. and it comes out of nowhere because the scene that had just happened where he's getting fired, there's no way he can come back from that. They're just being petty assholes and they're old enough where they're so ornery they're not going to change their mind if you ask me and i don't know i really liked that it was cool with getting dark because i feel at this point still they either went dark the whole time like pinocchio or just kind of sweet the whole time sometimes yeah one thing i would have liked though is that part to be moved up a little bit in the movie and had it breathe a bit so had him actually be out of a job for a bit but not caring because he actually got to be a good father for more than five seconds before he got his job back like i like that i like how they added that in too Mm -hmm. maybe like you said though they could have done it a little sooner but i like how they added it in though because it's kind of teaching kids a lesson too that like your parents do go through a lot like obviously he should have been um, like more present but it, it also shows, like, the burden of a parent, like, a caretaker. They do go through a lot. They have to provide. And, you know, he was, he did go through a lot for his children. Oh, yeah. Maybe he went not in the right way. Because I think as a kid, especially at the age of the bank's children, you don't really think about what goes on at your dad's work. Yeah. You just want them physically there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just know that your dad's gone. Yeah. And you miss him. Um, and you technically know that, he, you know, he's a banker. But, like you're a child that doesn't matter to you yeah you don't get the idea of bills like contextualize it or to really understand why yeah exactly but yeah i would have loved to have them let that see like that part breathe a bit like give it you know cut out like 10 minutes from other places and give that like a good 10 minutes yeah i think it would have been cool if he's like happy to see his kids they go fly the kite and they come home and the kids are like i'm so happy you're here dad blah 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 and i think it would have been really cool if he goes i love you kids he like reads them a story or something sends them to bed and then it shows him coming down and talking to his wife and them having a conversation about like what's going to happen in the future yeah i think that would have been really cool Whereas that would have been cool that's very yeah home, and also there's the serious of knowing there's a lot of uncertainty in the future now yeah and that's where you again where you'd have that like this would be that breath and then you know, in a couple of scenes, you could have that scene with the guys being like, oh, well, you know, I never see my dad happy. We'd love to hire you back. 
and then like that would kind of that could end the, the movie basically yeah. right like I think instead of them flying kites together and having fun i think it would have been nice if like maybe mr banks just bumped into the sun yeah of that banker and um it's implied like he he bumps into him and they meet and they're polite for a minute um and then like the mr banks is about to like take his leave and go keep on looking for work Mm -hmm. like maybe he's like out job hunting and like as he's leaving a bank in an interview that he doesn't think he did very well he bumps into him and he they just you know are polite and then at the last second the banker's son stops him and goes you know i never saw my dad that happy before and then maybe mr banks can gush about like yeah i'm worried about the future but i love my children and i I love being happy with them Mm -hmm. and then the job is offered back yeah and that would be that would be such a good scene like it would it would give you that emotional up and down that you are looking for in a movie instead of this that felt really rushed like it felt really slow and then felt really rushed at the end um so it had a pacing problem for sure and it had a lot of missed opportunity i think but again like they might not have had so much of that nuance or like wanted to present that much nuance on screen at that point for kids because they might not understand that. So I get why maybe they didn't go that direction. But at the same time, like we have to start talking to kids more like they're adults. And yeah. this is the kind of they thing that's understand. like very, yeah. And if they don't understand, they just think it's part of the movie. Right. Like, yeah. so I don't know. I just, I think there was a missed opportunity, which is too bad, but no, I wouldn't recommend this to anybody. Um, I would just tell them to go listen to those three songs that are great and leave it at that. Oh yeah, before we go into the rankings, though, I do have one more fun fact about Julie Andrew Laura in this movie. Yes. So she kept she kept the dancing shoes, you know, the, the pretty pink ones from Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Mm-hmm. Like the white pink ones. She kept those and she uses them as door weights now. Amazing. Oh, that's so cute. I, again, I love the... I can't believe I didn't say this, but I really love the costuming from this movie. I thought I do. it was yeah. Cool and I, I also, as soon as I saw those pink shoes, I was like, oh, I, I want those. <laughs> because, so Ben, you might not understand this, but growing up, I, as a girl, I kind of rejected the whole pink frilly thing because, um, you know, I had to deal with a lot of misogyny in my life. So I had to deal with internalized misogyny as a little girl. And I used to say, like, oh, I don't like pink because it's just, you know, it's a little too girly. It's a little too blah. And I think the best part about becoming a woman and overcoming internalized misogyny is, like, rediscovering the things that you deprived yourself of. Mm -hmm. So if you come into my room now, uh, Ryan knows, like, I have so much pink in my room now because I just... But it's not, like, hot pink, though. It's, like, darker pink, I would say. Yeah, it's like a lady pink. Maybe that's like a lighting thing, though. Maybe. But yeah, every time I've been like... in your room, it's like shady. Mm-hmm. Not in like a dark way, but you know, like the light. Yeah, I don't love overhead light. I like uh, ambient light. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, you know, if I was a kid, I would have been just so in love with the shoes that Mary Poppins was wearing, but I would never say it out loud. Mm-hmm. They're pink shoes. I can't like them because they're too girly. Um, which I, I, really, I did. <laughs> so this like quirk that absolutely everyone in my family remembers because it's like very easy to latch on to. I was obsessed with Wizard of the Oz as a kid. 
and to the point where every year, because my feet grew so fast, because I just got big feet very quick, every year for my birthday I would ask for those red glitter recreations of Dorothy's shoes, and I would mm -hmm. wear them, like, all the time. And I asked for them until I was maybe 10. <laughs> wow. That's really um, cute, though. Like, because my mom loved Wizard of Oz, so she showed it a lot uh, to us growing up. And I really wish I still kept a pair, but now talking about it, I kind of want to get like an adult red glitter pair of shoes because I do have, I actually do I have, shoes. I have some blue and black glitter shoes. Maybe I just need to get some red ones and then I'll be complete. <laughs> you should get the silver ones though from the book. Yeah. But the red, red glitter is so iconic. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's true. The red glitter is the prettier one in my opinion. I do agree that it like probably did photograph much better than a silver shoe. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you're also showing it up Technicolor. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why show something that could have been shown in black and white? Exactly. <laughs> All right. You guys want to get into some rankings? Yep. So we are, uh, we've decided to put these as part of our normal rankings and not as a one-off. So we are going to start with the main character who I think would just be Mary Poppins. I don't, mm -hmm. um, Currently on our list, we have number one is Cinderella, number two is Lady, number three is Mr. Toad, number four is Alice, five is Tarzan, six is Bambi, seven is Snow White, eight is Wendy, nine is the Dalmatian Fam Jam, ten is Arthur, eleven is Aurora, uh, twelve is Dumbo, thirteen is Pinocchio, and fourteen is Ichabob. Where, Sam, where would you put Mary Poppins? I want to put her maybe under Lady, so number three, because I think she has a better singing voice than Mr. Toad, and the only reason I want to put her third is because she doesn't actually have character development, and the reason we have Mr. Toad so high up is he also doesn't have character development, but he's, like, fun to go he's on fun. the journey with, yeah. like Mary Poppins, and Mary yeah, Poppins I really like her songs, and we have more time with her to, like, find her really lovable. Yeah, uh, I would even hazard to say above lady um i'd be okay with that like i'm not no, like, i would i put her under a lady I yeah heard sam on that because lady has character development and she stands up to some dumbass boy that's true and even though mary poppins also stands up to mr banks and <laughs> and manipulates him multiple times yeah um she doesn't really have character growth yeah Okay, I'm totally good with that. So, uh, Mary Poppins is our new number three, pushing down Mr. Toad. The next thing we have to rank is the music. Uh, right now we have Cinderella is number one, number two is Pinocchio, three is Snow White, four is Lady and the Tramp, five is Alice Wonderland, six is Sleeping Beauty, seven is 101 Dalmatians, eight Ichabob Crane and Mr. Toad, nine Sword in the Stone, ten Dumbo, eleven Peter Pan, and twelve Bambi. Oh, right, because Black Cauldron doesn't have music. I was like, where's Black Cauldron on this? Uh, so, Wait, Ryan... we should put it in, but pretty low, probably, because they had Mad Madam Mim, and then they had Merlin's songs. Oh, no, it's not Sword in the Stone. We, uh, Black Cauldron doesn't have music. Sword in the Stone is uh, number nine. I mean, Black Cauldron has background music. Yeah, but yeah. it's like ambient. Yeah. Uh, where would I put Mary Poppins? I don't know. It's kind of hard because at, on one hand, you have 
these masterpieces of like songs, like these very beloved and fantastic songs, like Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious and Spoonful of Sugar. But then everything outside of those masterpieces are kind of sleepers. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking I still want it high. And I think I I might put it above Lady and the Tramp just because with Lady and the Tramp, they just have the one song that's so iconic. And then everything else isn't is I don't think they had any other songs. No. Um, And I would agree. Tokyo and Cinderella, they had very iconic songs throughout. Yeah, I would say under Snow White above Lady and Tramp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 The the only other place I would put it is below Lady and the Tramp. I think that it's better than Alice in Wonderland. Uh, like, full stop. Personally, I yeah. like... um, I, I What's it? Bella Notte? I like it more than a lot of the songs in uh, Mary Poppins, but because Mary Poppins has more music, I would actually... I would still put it higher. Yeah. Well, I yeah, let's throw it in number four. And yeah, I think that's probably a good place for it. I think that the list will change quite quickly uh, towards the end of this. But yeah. All right. So Mary Poppins is our number four for music. Uh, we are now on to... Of like any music for our next movie. Jungle, Jungle, Book? Jungle Book? Oh, there's like, tons of music. Yeah. There's bare necessities. Maybe. There's uh, the one by like the four Beatles, uh, the Beetle Vultures. There's um, I really don't remember. Ka the book has either. a song. Um, sure, I don't know. Sure, Khan doesn't have one, but yeah, there's a ton of music in Jungle Book. Uh, King Louis yeah. has an amazing song. Oh my god, that's the only one I could remember. Is like I want to be like you. Yeah, but what about like? <laughs> Look for the, I remember the bare necessities. necessities. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember that. And then I, I guess I just remember the two songs. Well, yeah. This will be interesting because I haven't seen it in quite a while. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure Ka has one too. It's uh, Trust in Me as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is like a really terrifying song because he uses it to like hypnotize people and eat them. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, all right. So the last voting we have on this movie, because I didn't really see there being a villain per se, uh, would be the movie itself. So in number one, we have Cinderella. Number two is Lady and the Tramp. Three is 101 Dalmatians. Four is Pinocchio. Five is Snow White. Six is Alice in Wonderland. Seven, Sleeping Beauty. Eight, Black Cauldron. Nine, Sword in the Stone. Ten, Adventures of Ichabob, Crane, and Mr. Toad. Eleven, Dumbo. Twelve, Peter Pan. And thirteen, Bambi. Now... This is hard, because I want to really... I really want to like it, but at the same time... I really don't. I want to put it as number 10. They've done better, you know? Like, personally, I I would put it as number 10. I would put it below Sword in the Stone and above The Adventures of Ichabob Crane and Mr. Toad. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, because it is also really episodic, so it's hard to, like, compare it to the more narrative song uh, movies that are so higher up. Exactly. Uh, Also, I just... It just like Ichabod Crane and Mr. Toad, I found this hard to watch, really. Uh, watch I take, in parts. I had to watch it in parts. And Ichabod Crane and Mr. Toad is amazing, and I don't care. <laughs> uh, Mr. Toad part I thought was really good, but I remember having to take a break in between two of them. Because I knew that was no like comment. A, a thing. Oh! 
Brian, do you not like Ichabod Crane? Brian knows how much I like that that movie. But I I think our friendship, though. Yeah, I just really love Wind in the Willows, and that was like a big thing. Yeah. All right. So, are we happy with that at number ten? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that is our rankings for today. Stay tuned. We will continue to rank. Uh, we're I'm not sure what age we're in, but we, after. Oh, what did I say? After, right before Oliver and Company, we're going to cut this list out and we are going to create a new list for the next generation of Disney movies. Uh, I think that we'll probably keep this list around and maybe uh, next year for our New Year's episode, we'll do a conglomerate list uh, to see where things land. But, yeah, instead of like watching, we could basically have like a big Q and A almost yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. yeah. then hopefully we'll also have some live podcasts going out uh, as we have some plans for this year uh, that will probably start fruition around Q two Q three. All right, so like I said, the next week's episode will be on the Jungle Book. So make sure to watch and uh, come in for our analysis and our talking and our off-stream conversations. Uh, You can catch us on social media. Uh, We've started to do our Instagram. Uh, I've created our TikTok and started to make plans for that as well. Those will probably be our main devices. We might do Twitter as well, but I haven't decided on if we're going to do that or not. I'll do Twitter. Oh, perfect. Then we'll have a Twitter as well. Um, And I'll put all the links to those in the description of the podcast so you can keep up to date with what we're doing we all oh sorry (laughs) did you want to do the question of the week oh yeah uh yes uh sam do you have a question yes awesome so since last episode we had our resolutions i thought it would be a good time to check in with everyone to see how we've kept up with them because i'm here to brag oh that i talked about with you guys i think everyone you wanted to read more right yep yep how have you guys done well i've been reading more manga again (laughs) nice reading is reading reading is reading my resolution was very specific was to read more novels because all i read last year was textbook manga webtoons and magazines so yeah fair um I'm about uh, halfway through uh, the life-changing magic of not giving a fuck. So, wait, is that a book or is it actually like it's a book? Your mood, okay? No, it's, <laughs> it's a like book. Your yeah. So it's uh, it's about like uh, caring less about what other people think and stuff. Uh, it's a very interesting book. I would definitely suggest it to people. Um, I'm not finding it life-changing like some of my other friends have, but it's still an interesting read. Uh, and after this, I'm going into... Uh, actually, I'm going to go into a sci-fi, even though I know that that wasn't part of it. I would like to catch up on some of the uh, Star Wars books that I've been missing oh, out on. Cool. Yeah. I actually... Last year, I read this really cool compilation one called uh, From Another Point of View. And all these really great science fiction writers write short stories. So each chapter is by a different author. Oh, cool. And they pick a each side character like there's one chapter from Greedo's perspective oh there's cool. one chapter from like the band in the cantina uh there's like i think there's one from the sarlacc <laughs> <laughs> but it's really cool like will Re- will Wheaton had a chapter oh i i'm not a, the biggest will Wheaton fan unfortunately oh really yeah crappy 
I, I don't really follow. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I heard not great things about his uh, board game show and stuff. And I just, mm. I never really enjoyed him as an actor. Um, yeah, I mean, he just had the one really famous part and he's been doing like cameos. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's all yeah. it takes sometimes. That's all it takes. Yeah. Be on a Star Trek and you'll have cameos forever. Um, yeah. I do find him really annoying on Star Trek. Like he was the character. I really don't like when they bring in like the youngest character that everyone has to kind of parent. Mm-hmm. I hate you that trope really too. That. Yeah. Uh, I hate that trope. But yeah, I or, mean, like, he also capable child. Like I don't like that either. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, I, I'm almost at my first book. I finished my first game for the year. I wanted to do 12 games this year. So I, I just finished guardians of the galaxy. Uh, it was, not amazing, but it wasn't terrible either. It was, uh, I would say, maybe a 6 out of 10. Uh, the story was good. The gameplay was awful uh, and very repetitive. But yeah, it was, I know, it's it's something else off the list. And uh, I'm already down 8 pounds. So there's my check-in. Yay! <laughs> yeah. Out of you. Um, well, I just finished my seventh book of the year last night. What? yeah i'm really proud of myself um i just finished the final girl support group by grady hendrix he is probably one of my favorite horror writers uh he's one of the few male authors that write women characters as characters and instead of like focusing on their body and like describing it in a weirdly sexual way he Mm. uh weirdly understands the female experience um a lot of I've read all I have one more book to read before I've read everything he's written <laughs> I'm kind of a, a big fan um because he will write teenage girls and like early 20s girls who are really frustrated because they get stifled by patriarchy and also not being taken seriously because of their age but I really like some of his other books like uh the southern book club for slaying vampires because books like that and we sold our souls follow the lives of middle-aged women and how they struggle to be taken seriously and be heard and listened to Mm -hmm. and just i really like the range he has with the different horror he uh looks into so the final girl support group he reimagines all these classic slasher movies and basically uh what if they were happened in real life and what happens to these girls after they survive and like what people do they turn into um Hmm. so it was really interesting and i also finally picked up my first historical book of the year which was one of my uh resolutions it's called killers of the flower moon it's about the osagi tribe and they were pushed off their native lands in kansas and put on a reservation in oklahoma and what they didn't know when they put the uh, the Osagi in Oklahoma is that the particular land they were sent to is very oil rich. And they became the richest uh, people. How was it described? It was like the richest uh, section of the U.S. per capita. Wow. Um, yeah. And what's interesting and what this book is about is a bunch of murders start to happen against the Osaji people because white people got very upset that these people were so rich 
Like, they were getting about $400 million um, as a tribe a mm-hmm. year. Um, which is huge. Like, $400, yeah. uh, $400 million in today's money. Um, and it was really crazy. But what's interesting is, so these people start going missing, and they uh, the rest of the tribe is starting to advocate for, you know, their people. And, like, we need to do something about this. And this led to the birth of the FBI. So the Osaji murders were the first big case of the FBI with Her- Herbert Hoover in charge. Wow. Yeah. It's cool. really fascinating. And what's really cool is this book has also been adapted for young readers. So it's really cool that you can basically read this book and also have, like, your kid or your niece or your nephew read it with you i think it's written in a really accessible way so it would be really cool if this was taught in class because when i was in high school we didn't talk about the indigenous people like at all like there was maybe a chapter saying like yeah people were here before us and we took it over and uh manifest destiny which they talk about the trail of tears in american history like it was one thing but it was like everyone you know, if they liked the land you were on, you were gone. You know? Yeah. Like, we even had, there's like a Trail of Tears-esque story in California as well. But we only really talk about the one in, like, like the Florida, Kansas, and, like, Oklahoma type thing. Where everyone's getting pushed to the flatlands where they don't know how the uh, the ecology works. They didn't have all these ancestral practices that were for this area you know um but it's really interesting and what really sets off the white people is um so the osaji people were able to hire servants and everything they had like cars and they paved all their roads uh but they still practice like their indigenous practices it's very interesting a lot of them would intermarry with white people and black people. But what really set people off was uh, <clears throat> the uh, indigenous Osaji people. They would get servants and some of the servants were white. And so there's a lot of news articles that are quoted in this book of these white journalists who've come down to the area and write like scathing articles about like, it's disgusting watching the whites serve these inferior in- Indians. And it's like, oh. and so it's really interesting because I'm still in the early chapters of this book. So it's like setting the scene of like race relations in the area and just how rich these people were getting in such a short period of time. But anyway, yeah, cool. It's a, that's cool. my resolution. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've been, I've been keeping up with mine too. I mean, by the time this podcast comes out, I already have submitted my application to field school in Mongolia. Nice. So, look at us. Productive. That's pretty productive. Now I just need the gyms to reopen. Um, get the last oh, bit yeah. of that stuff. The gyms are going to be closed, I think, for another month, which is unfortunate. But, you know, COVID. So, I, I'm do anything rolling with the punches. Be responsible. Yes. Um, so, each of us has our own side projects as we've mentioned before as well as on this podcast itself um 
Sam, uh, you want to give a little information about the update on Digital Sue? Yes. So Digital Sue is going to have its final episode come out this month instead of on New Year's. Um, I have explained on this podcast that I basically, the week of Christmas and New Year's, I had basically anything that could go wrong and put a roadblock in me getting an episode out <laughs> happened. <laughs> um, the day before New Year's Eve, I got stuck in an airport for way too long, and so I had to sleep it off for all of New Year's Eve, the New Year's Day. Um, some other shit went down, and let's just say on Christmas... I had a freak allergic reaction, which put me in bed for a good two days. Oh, jeez. Um, I'm still not sure what I had a reaction to. <laughs> um, probably just Reno in general. I almost, nothing against Reno, but every time I've gone there, I feel physically ill just because of What's how Reno? much drier it is than San Diego, I think. Like Don't my... box yourself. I know. <laughs> but it's just like, my chest feels all like clogged almost and yeah. clenched because it just it feels so dry and no matter how much water I drink out in Reno, it's like I get these like uh lines in my forehead because I'm just so dehydrated. Yeah. Uh yeah. When you go places that are, have a such a different environment. When I went to uh I lived in Ottawa for a while crazy. in the summer and oh my god. Same it's thing. Like, it's just it's dry as hell. Like it's either dry or it gets really humid. And, like, huh. the humidity scale, like, pumps up the temperature by, like, 10 to 15 degrees. And I know, that's humidity Celsius. is great for skin, though. When I was in Japan Ooh. during but, the summer and stuff, like, hottest summer in on record in modern history in Japan, my skin looked fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> if I wasn't sweating 24-7, I probably would have felt better. But, oh, my God, the sweat. Um... Ryan, so what are you, where oh, do you live, Ben? Is it like kind of swampy or what? No, I, I live on the west coast of Canada, so it is beautiful. Okay. I live it's in the one place where uh, it usually doesn't snow, even though this year we got like four different snowstorms, and somehow I got caught in every single one in my car, every one of them. So uh, you don't, you're in like a rain shadow area, basically. Like you have like mountains, basically. We have mountains. Yeah. Nice. We have okay. a lot of mountains, a lot of rain, uh, not much snow usually. Yeah, I've been to Ben's um, province, British um, British Columbia, right? Yeah. Yeah, I've been to I've been to his province. I've been to Vancouver. It's very nice. I mean, granted, I was there in the summer. Yeah, it's a good place to be in the summer. It was very very nice. It's very relaxing, and I mean, I would, if it wasn't so expensive, I would I would consider living in Vancouver. Yeah, it's very expensive here. I've been in Vancouver for like a day. Like a, I flew in there went to a hotel and like woke up at 5 a.m. to get on a cruise ship oh uh, yeah <laughs> yeah it's, as visiting Canada. vancouver's a beautiful place uh about both, a glimpse yeah but it is very expensive to live here uh but that's a discussion for another time uh ryan what are you working yeah. on these days oh uh, well so for I'm thinking about just launching my new podcast by myself because my potential co-host right now, I don't think they would be able to do it right now. So I'm thinking about launching it sometime this month and I already figured out a name of what I want to call it. I want to call it the Human Intimacy Podcast. Nice. I love that. So, uh, so it's basically 
me and maybe if I ever get another co-host, we're basically talking about love, sex, friendship, connection, and everything that has to involve with human intimacy and humans interacting with each other. Very so cool. look forward to that. Very well, cool. If you want someone to help uh to be like a co-host on your first episode, because I know the reason why you don't have your other person, I could come on temporarily if you need it. Yeah. And then also I was thinking about a project too starting on YouTube. Um, I don't know how many people I can get into this. Maybe you two want to jump on this. I already spoke about it with Sam a little bit, but I want to call it X number of reactors, something, something working. It's a working title, but basically we each have a list of stuff that we like, and then we give it to another random reactor on that channel. And then we have to get through that list for that month or say here and then we do a reaction to everyone's favorite things and then we all gather together for one big video at the end of the cycle and oh, we cool. talk about each of the stuff awesome well, that sounds that. fun uh yeah. we'll keep us informed and we'll make sure that those all go live on here as well um personally i have taken a little bit of a step back these couple weeks because i've been focusing on my job um i was also very i was also very sick last week it was bad um it wasn't COVID, right? No, but it was okay, it was bad. <laughs> um, yeah, it was. Yeah, whatever. It, it was what it was. Um, but I am getting back. You're healthy in, now. I'm healthy now. I'm getting back into streaming. Uh, next week, uh, I'll be doing consistently on Tuesday and Wednesdays, and uh, me and my friend are recording our first episode for the Boba Fett. Uh, series this Sunday so that'll be exciting and that'll be probably a weekly podcast as we get through that and going into Marvel after that so very exciting very exciting stuff from all of us and I'm excited to see how it comes out um, like I said I will put all the links to our stuff in the description of the podcast so that everyone can check those out as well um, but beyond that I would just like to say thank you for listening everyone thank you to the hosts for jumping on here and I'm excited for next week to jump into the general book bye bye <laughs>